You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. The views and opinions expressed on this show do not necessarily represent those of the network, its advertisers, owners, or sponsors. Hi, welcome to Comeback City, where we explore Detroit's past, present, and future. Today we're talking about the Detroit newspapers. This episode is brought to you by Spectacular Strolls. Spectacular Strolls offers 15 historic walks in Detroit. Each walk is a self-guided 20-minute tour. Visit SpectacularStrolls.com to order your next Detroit history adventure. I'm Matt Schenken, and with me today is my co-host, Linda Shepard. Hey, Matt. How are you, Linda? I'm doing great. Great. We're changing it up a little bit today, aren't we? We changed it up totally. Excellent. Great job with the intro, Matt. Thank you very much. Well, uh, today we also have a very special guest. Her name is Terry Oparka. Terry, how are you today? Oh, I'm great. Thank you. Excellent. And Terry's going to talk a little bit about uh, d- d- the history of Detroit and newspapers. She's also an author who has produced a number of books. She is uh, also a friend of Linda's, so that's why we're- And a we're, co-worker. And a co-worker of Linda's, too. So we're changing it up a little bit today. And, uh, and our day jobs. Your our day, day jobs. jobs. So tell so uh, tell us, what, what is your day jobs? We are newspaper reporters, yes. both Terry and I. We've both been newspaper reporters. I've been a reporter for over 20 years. And Terry, how long have you been with the paper? 18 years this month, or last month in March. And we work for a chain of local weekly newspapers covering um, local government. I have a government and crime beat. Terry, you also have government, crime, and education. That's right. And we also do feature stories. But mostly we're government and crime, which some people say is the same thing. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. So uh, this newspaper handles mostly outside of the Detroit metro area, correct? It's suburban weeklies. So each suburban city has a paper. We And some of the papers include a number of cities, if they're really small cities. So it's C&G newspapers. They're based in Warren. And they have 19 local newspapers. And they have grown. Um, in the 20 years that I've been there, I think when I started there, they had nine and they grew. Yes, they grew substantially in the time I've been there. Which I think is, they added six or seven papers since which I've been there. Which is unusual given the uh, where the forecast was for newspapers even five years ago, that newspapers were going down, spiraling down quickly, the print journalism anyways. They, w- they were on a real growth track for a while there and then it kind of ended. Yeah, yeah which um, – before I came to CNG, I was at the, um, started out at the Detroit News. After the JOA, it was the News and Free Press because I was on the business end doing advertising okay. and that has substantially, um, changed. So, so let's, yeah, so let's, let's start there. Um, sure. so, uh, you work for the Detroit News. Correct? I came in as a newsie. <laughs> what does that mean? Well, that's what you call, that's what we called ourselves, the Detroit News people. We were newsies uh, and the Free Press people were Freepers. Ah, so. okay. And, I did not know this. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and and uh, how long and what what position did you hold as a newsie? Well, I was the probably the worst salesperson who ever lived. <laughs> but um, since it was the advertising boom years, uh, and people were basically standing in line with money to spend, um, I could take. I what we did is we called ourselves ad takers at first, and then we were salespeople. But we were ad takers, and I wore something like I'm wearing now a headset. 
and you were hooked into your computer and you typed the ads in as people called them in. And um, that was 87 I started doing that okay. until I left uh, 12 years later. 12 years you were there. That's quite a while. Yeah. A big change. So big you, changes. So you had mentioned the JOA. Yes. That so, was um, – Joint operating joint operating agreement, agreement where the business operations of the Detroit News and the Detroit Free Press merged. The newsrooms are kept right. separately, and they are separately and, to this day. And it is my memory that that was quite contentious at the time. That Very the, contentious. That Detroit Free Press and the news had its own. One was more liberal. The other one was more conservative, that they each had their own news departments. Yes. And that um, – that that fifth estate, as they call it, right? Yes. That that was going to uh, have a profound effect on Detroit and how it got its news. The reason they wanted the JOA, they said, was to preserve the two voices. So, in order to do so, business operations they thought had to be merged, okay. and they were in fact merged. And it's still two separate newspapers. Yes, it is. Which is crazy, but. <laughs> So so we kind of started off in a shot right there. That was yeah, kind of exciting. Yeah, sure that did. was a lot of information. Well, we're so, in the news business. That's, that's what right. we do. So, that's what we do. So tell, you know, uh, I, I have not met you until about five minutes before this. Uh, I, I uh, Linda and I had a, uh, a short, brief uh, confab before this. And I said, Linda, let, let me just. Let me do what I do, which is I, I go and I talk to people and I find out about them and I find out what, you know. So where'd you grow up? I grew up in Warren and um, Detroit until 1968. So you were born in Detroit? I, no, actually, I was born in Bad Axe, Michigan. <sighs> Shout out to Bad Axe. Go Bad <laughs> Love Bad Axe. <laughs> yeah, my father's whole family's from there. My par- Both my parents were born and raised in the Thumb. So Fantastic. Yeah. And when did you come down this, this way? Oh, I was born and we immediately um, – she just went up there to um, deliver me because that's where her doctor was. And they actually lived down here. C- crazy people. But that's how they did it. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah. And what did your dad do for a living? What was his? Uh... Um, boring mill operator, skilled trades um, for a smaller shop. And then he went to General Motors, I want to say, in 1969. So that. Uh, Chevrolet. Chevrolet. Gear and Axel. Excellent. Yeah. Great. And uh, how many in your family? I'm oldest of five. Oldest of five. Yeah. Oh, the smart one. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Linda's oldest of seven. So well. we get, we, that's why we hang <laughs> together. Now, did you True. guys meet each other when you were working at the uh, C&G? Oh, yeah. yeah. Pretty okay. funny. And we went to the same university, too, but we had never crossed, pa- uh, crossed paths there. We both studied journalism at Oakland University. Shout out to OU. Oh, and you both studied journalism. You studied journalism, Linda? Of course. I yeah. did not know that. Well, I, you, you have to. You, you know, if you're going to work for a newspaper, job. they want. You ha- they have to learn how not to get sued. And that's that's what exactly what it's all School. about, yeah. for sure. Seriously. Yeah, it's yeah. a huge big deal. Okay. So what is your um, relationship to um, – tell me a little bit about what, what drew you to advertising uh, and was it a job for you to work as a newsie at uh... – Well, I was still going to school. I was raising my children and it was the North Plant, which is where um, I was based – is in Sterling Heights. They finished uh, that plant in 1974. Okay. And I started work there in 86. It was basically virtually five minutes from my house. And I had found out about it from um, a neighbor of mine 
that, you know, hey, I type there. It's only a couple days a week. Money is great. <laughs> so I um, tried for it and I got in. You had to pass a really tough spelling test the days before spell check. Because you're taking those ads very quickly, you had to know how to spell. Interesting. Yeah. Were you working on a computer then? Yes. Oh, okay. So it was kind we of the first yes. wave of computers. It was their own hybrid. They had really? their own. It wasn't a Macintosh. Or... No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> it's, and there still isn't. We always laughed that, you know, it was carrier pigeon that, you know, Basically. things that went between downtown and the North Plant because it was so, so you would think they would have t- first grade, you know, top of the line technology. Not so much. They were cutting corners and saving money wherever they could to, sure. to keep the business operations lean sure. and mean. Now, uh, you're you're a mother, I hear. Yes, and, and a, grandmother. And grandmother. Yeah. And you're a working gal, too. Yes, right? I am. And you're also an author. I am. Thank you for asking. Tell me a little bit about uh, your, the, my, yeah. in my alter ego. My alter ego, Tara Eldana, is my pen name. That's T-A-R-A-E-L-D-A-N-A dot com. <laughs> I have five books published, another one coming out in May. Okay. Very excited about Cabin Fever. And they're romance novellas, happy endings. Very nice. On the spicy side. Do they entail any kind of history of or any kind of uh, Detroit scenery? Any kind you of you know? De- they're all set in Michigan. Still, uh, I can't get away from the water and um, what I know. And I want it to be authentic, so they're set here. Excellent. But no, they're not historical. They're all present day or paranormal, but still present day paranormal. Paranormal. So, I did not realize this. Well, they're about mermaids. Um, you knew that, right? Every one of the books? No. Um, half and half, <laughs> half of them are. Oh. Freshwater okay. or saltwater? Saltwater. mermaids were but, involved. But the freshwater plays into it. So okay. that's a piece of it, too. So no, no, no freshwater mermaids in the strait. No. Of De- in the Detroit Strait. Yeah, we no. talked about that during a previous podcast. Right. D- it's not the Detroit River. No. It's the Straits Actually, of Detroit. It's the Straits of Detroit. The right. Straits of Detroit. Yes. Between two bodies of Isn't water. Isn't that what Detroit means in French? The, the Straits? I think it does. Yes. I think you're totally right. Tell me something. So. I, I I love finding out little tidbits. Detroit? Detroit means the Detroit, Straits. Detroit, the Straits. Ah, yeah. there we go. Uh, so tell me... Uh, you know, here, this is kind of an interesting thing as I was reading over some of the notes today about uh, the Detroit newspaper and the history of the Detroit newspapers um, is uh, that Howard Scripps or the Scripps family was one of the original um, uh, publishers right. of of Scripps. And, and I thought about our podcast today in, in this terms that um, – he, they had a uh, kind of a new idea about writing, uh, writing the newspaper. He said, uh, running with an idea new for its time, he filled the newspaper with inexpensive advertising and instructed his reporters to write like people talk. His competitor called the news a cheap rag and labeled his reporters pirates, but Detroiters beloved it. And so what I liked about that as we were talking here today is that's kind of what this podcast is like. You know, it's kind of like for the people who are just, you know, like us and who are just, you know, going out and trying to find uh, both their voice and and uh, looking for people like themselves. And my dear, you are you, you speak a voice for Metro Detroit. Well, it's a it's a lot about information. Um, I know myself. I love reporting because I love 
giving the news to people. Um, you know, especially local news. We, I say we are privileged to deliver local news to people who are very interested in reading it. Um, how would they get this news otherwise? That is true. And it's very gratifying when people take the time to drop you an email or call you and say, I really liked your story. And it could go the other way, too, believe me. It mostly goes the other way. Um, <laughs> you know, this, you got this wrong, or I think I don't agree with, and, you know, it's... I say that you find out how many people read your stories when you make a mistake because they <laughs> will all call you or email you. That is true. Now, is what true. is your beat, Terry? What? Actually, I cover Troy, the city of Troy. Okay. And you're doing the police reports and you're doing crime, the, government, crime. Um, human interest, and um, schools. Okay, great. And uh, my uh, dear cousin, uh, Linda, she covers Rochester yes. Hills. Okay. Rochester Hills, Oakland Township. Okay, great. Uh, and I cover government and crime. I don't, uh, we have another reporter on the paper that covers schools. Now, when we thought about bringing Terry on today, we were driving down from, uh, from your house up in Rochester and you were excited because you, you said Terry really has a voice and has something to share that is unique with, um, that she speaks to you. And, and I said, well, let's, let's save that for the podcast. Let's save what, 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 what makes Terry an interesting um, as a coworker, as a friend, as a as a journalist, and as an author? What well, is- I can't believe she's written all these books. I'm totally inspired by this. I mean, a lot of people say they want to write books, but how many people actually sit down, write them, and this is the hard part: get them published. Am I right, Terry? It's difficult. It's difficult. You have really to... stuck to it, too. Well, thank you very much. And how do you get them published? Do you do it locally? Actually, no. It's the publishing house I'm with is on the in Oregon. Um, it's Black Opal Books. Okay. It is what they call a, maybe a boutique. It's a smaller publishing house. So there's still a number of authors um, that are published through Black Opal, but it's not... Um, it's a small press. That's probably the best way to describe it. Smaller. It's not Random House or anybody really sure. huge. Well, and, and a lot of publishing is going that way, right? It is true. It's they handle the cover, they handle all the editing, they hand you know all of that. Whereas if you're self publishing, you have to contract that out or do it yourself. But the publishing house handles it in this case. And your books are published online and in print. Print also. Yes. Yes, they are. That's so, great. So how how do and you? And a couple of them will be on the shelves of Barnes and Noble, um, in the small press department. If they're not there yet, they will be in a couple weeks. Wow! Great. Yes, very excited about that. That's very exciting. So how how does um, somebody like you know how how does somebody who's writing a Michigan author how do they get known? How do they? Well, go if out I and, knew, I'm. I published the books. I wish I could tell you my sales were, you know, on the bestseller list. They're not yet. Uh, that is, it's difficult to market your books, no matter if you're with an even larger house. And sure. the the publishing house would take care of that or take on a lot of that. Terry, do you have an houses, agent? I do not. But no, I'm hoping to get one soon. Um, you joined um, an organization. Of- I did. I would not be published without my membership in the Greater Detroit Romance Writers of America. Ah, there we go. And they, they were very rock. helpful. 
I they're invaluable. Really? Invaluable. What did they do for you? Oh, resources, encouragement. The speakers that come in are speakers that you would have to go to a conference to hear in many cases. Do you meet once a month? Yes, we do. Oh. And can you name that organization once again? Sure. The Greater Detroit Romance Writers of America. And how many folks are in that group? You know, my bad. I couldn't tell you off. How many people come to the meetings? It's always different. There's been meetings where I would say there are 30 people there, and then there are some where maybe there are 10. Oh. So it's, you know, it's fluid. That part of it. Where is do you guys fluid. meet? We meet in Royal Oak in on uh, Morass, and it's the um, Senior Center, I believe. Oh, okay. Yes. There's a number of things there. We walk in and there's yoga classes going and Cub Scout, you know, it's, <laughs> it's a, it's a happen place. Fantastic. Yeah, a number of rooms. Um, you know, Terry, I don't know if I've ever asked you this question before, but, um, I know you were working at the, at the, News and Free Press and selling ads. And that was kind of something that you did because a neighbor had recommended the job to you. But when did you actually start thinking that you wanted to start writing for the newspaper? Oh, from the get-go. They knew really? going in that I was going to college to be oh, so a you journalist. were in journalism school when you started yes, selling ads there? Yes, I was. Oh. Yes. And had that been something you'd wanted to do your whole life? or Yes, it really? was. It was just... Right- it, as a journalist? Yes, or? as a journalist. Wow. It didn't work out right after high school, so I took the long, slow way <laughs> to get my degree. Yeah. But yeah, that was something I always wanted to do. Oh, okay. So that was a long-realized goal. Yes, it was. Yes, it Terrific. was. Yeah. And C&G gave me the chance, which I've always been very, very grateful for. You know, it's very difficult nowadays to actually get a, a position as a staff writer. A on day a job, getting paid right to it's write. It's very, very yes. difficult. So we are very lucky to have our jobs. Yes, we are. So I love, in the morning, getting my newspaper and I love opening it up and having that tactile feeling of a newspaper. Um, God bless you, man. Well, I, I, I think we all. Uh, I, I don't know what's your. Exp- I mean, absolutely. Your newspaper, absolutely. Re- your newspaper. Of course, I still get my Detroit News. <laughs> so <laughs> the, do I. The days delivered to that they deliver. No, they yeah. don't deliver every day. Well, you can pay to have it delivered, but it's we extra. Have, but we, I, I yeah. get it. The four, three days that they, you know went to, you can pay to have it the rest of the, for seven days. To have it right. the rest right. of the days. I live yeah. over on the west side of Michigan, so we get the the um, MLive edition of the Grand Rapids Press, and, you know, that's delivered every, you know, Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Sundays, oh. which isn't bad. But, Same um, deal. But your newspaper is actually, it's a it's an, uh, the C&G, right? Right, C&G it, newspapers. It, it's kind of a different um, mode by which it gets delivered. Yes. It actually gets delivered by the post office. Right, through to, the mail, through which the is mail, unusual. To every to every address in in your I'm not sure it goes to all the apartments. It doesn't buildings. go to apartments, but it goes to every house in every city. My gosh, that's an unusual uh, We have a huge huge readership. Yes. Enormous. Uh and I think Linda you were telling me that um when when a survey was done, you know, where do you get your where's the place that you get your news from most of all? Where's the first and it was amazing that it was actually this? It was. When I actually, before Terry came to CNG, I was on her beat in Troy 
And I think probably the second week that I was on the beat, um, I was at a city council meeting and they had the results of a survey that had the city had commissioned and it asked the residents, where do you get your news? And CNG, uh, the Troy Times, CNG newspapers was number one by a mile. And I mean, the news and free press were way down at the bottom of the list. And we're talking 20 years ago before really all this internet news. Sure. You know, because was, news breaks on Twitter, a right. lot of things. It was way before Twitter or anything else. But no, it was. And I, you know, I think for a certain number of the population, I think for a lot of the population, it's still a place where they get their local news for sure. For sure. For Absolutely. Sure. Especially since I've been covering schools, most of all of my time is CNG. I've gone, sometimes the teacher has asked me to come in and talk about my job and the kids get their um, stories for their assignment when the teacher says, I need you to find a article about something local, something in your city, right. and that's where they find it in CNG newspapers because they're not going to find a story about what happened at the city council meeting unless there was somebody, you know, getting fired <laughs> or something like that in the larger papers. They're going to find it in ours. Which doesn't mean that, you know, we don't cover big stories. We do cover big oh, absolutely. stories. Absolutely. I mean, we have murders. Um, I've been on television. I was on the television show Snapped for a murder that I covered uh, 15 years ago. Terry has covered um, many national stories. Sure. Um, because Troy has a lot of controversial issues that are going on. Um, we, we cover it all. Yes, we do. It's a very interesting job. Yeah. Yeah. I got to interview Eugene Chernin when I was covering something at the Detroit Science Center. That was the coolest thing ever. Tell us about that. Oh, it was awesome. Well, he, you know, astronaut, you right. know, the last astronaut to walk on the moon. And there was a exhibition of moon rocks at the Detroit Science Center. And I, at that time, I was doing all education, so I had nothing to do in the summer. <laughs> so I went down there because it had to do with students. Sure. And, and I... Honor of meeting him, courtly, awesome guy, very gentlemanly, just very, just one of the highlights of my whole life. And really? I mentioned, you know, wow, you know, I, you went on the moon. I, I could never do that. He goes, sure you could. So basically, Eugene Chernin told me I had the right stuff to go into space. <laughs> Best day ever. That was oh, awesome. That's great. That was awesome. So tell me, um, how, how do you, um, so, uh, how, how do you interact with Detroit? Do you go into Detroit very often? Do you see yourself as a Detroiter, even though you? Detroit, I don't. No, I wish I would love to say that I do see myself as a Detroiter, but I no, spent most of my life in the suburbs. So I would hate say that I, I have gone downtown to the Detroit News uh, in Free Press Building many times sure. when I was working there. I've covered um, Federal Court, which is downtown, I know, which is right down the street from the News and Free Press, so it was sort of where I knew my little comfort zone anyway. No, there's plenty of people who are much more familiar with the city Did than Did you ever I, go uh, down to see the presses at the News and Free Press? The presses are at the North Plant, and yes, I saw them every – yeah, we, I saw them many times. Oh, they're are actually, they huge? They're at the North Plant. Well, there is – the Free Press at one time had their uh, printing plant on the riverfront um, – 
I have never, I've been on the property near the riverfront to see the fireworks um, in the summertime. However, I, the printing presses, it were at the North Plant. So I had seen those in action more than, you know, a few times. Do they look like they they're do in loud, the movies? They're noisy. It's very loud. And it's, it, the printing plant is dirty. There's ink. You really have to watch where you sit. It's uh, a yeah, printing plant is a printing plant is a printing plant. Yeah. yeah, we don't have presses at C&G. They send all their printing out to, what is it, Davisburg, I think, which right. is quite a ways away. Yes. So I've actually never been out there. We should take a field trip out there well, sometime. Well, I've seen many printing pl- presses. You have fun. I don't need to see anymore. <laughs> spent 12 years with the printing process. Oh, gee. <laughs> now, can you talk a little bit about the differences between, say, the News and Free Press and, say, C&G? I mean, because they are very, they have a lot in common, but they're very, very different. What would you say were the biggest differences between the two entities? Well, because I came from advertising and then over to editorial, so there was, it's kind of like that apples was a big and change oranges. right there. Yeah. That was a big change, huge change right there. From going, even selling ads, uh, people say, well, if you do a story on me, I'll run an ad. Well, uh, at C&G, we know we sometimes, our salespeople will say, hey, you know, I've, my client is such a nice person. Would you think about doing something? You know, so I get it because I've been on the other side of it, too. For sure. But say how many reporters did they have at the News and Free Press? Oh, I, you know, I, I really can't speak to the editorial part of it because I wasn't on that side when I was there. Oh, okay. So I really wouldn't want to misstate anything. Yeah. Was it... You know, very contained in one building where everyone was there a lot of the time. Yes, the newsroom was, they were downtown in both cases. There were some advertising people downtown too. Oh, but not all of them. Not all of them. No, there were plenty at the North Plant, which is where I was. Oh, because we run everything out of one building. Yeah, we're centrally. We're centrally, right. But no, they had, you know, like I said, and the uh, Free Press had the um, their property on the riverfront for a while, as well as all the distribution, the circulation so, stations too. They had quite a, yeah, quite a um, network. So, if you were selling advertising, right? Who, yeah. where, what were they give? Were you given a phone book and say just start calling individuals? No, or? we were. Well, like I said, we started out, we called ourselves ad takers. There was so much business okay. that it came to us. It was nothing to see in a room full, a hundred people on a Friday, which was the busiest day, that there would maybe be 30 some calls holding with, a, you know, was probably this, maybe 70 people available at one time. Was that this was the, the classified, classified? Yeah, that was classified. Classified encompassed everything, even the um, death notices. So you did, if you were just, um, until we sort of specialized more, and at that point I was in the commercial area, which was still the death notices, as well as the legal bids and notices, as well as someone placing their car ad. At that time, we still had the companion ads, which is Match.com oh now. Gosh, wow. Oh, we did everything. I tell you, if you wanted to know what was happening in the world, yeah, stay in classified because it's all going to come your way. Um so where was most of the was, – was it coming from Detroit? Was it coming from – All did, over. All over. Local rates um, included Toledo, Ohio, as well as Windsor, Ontario. Wow. Okay. And we got calls all the way up to the thumb. Anywhere in Michigan was considered a local rate, I believe. Yeah, My because dad, Detroit Free Press and Detroit News went all the way over to the sure. west side of the state. I sure. mean, yeah, you could yeah. get that. 
Wow, that's. Now, I haven't looked at a rate card in 18 years, so I couldn't tell you. So, did <laughs> Craigslist kill this whole? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. I remember when I was still in advertising and about to finish up uh, college, my supervisor at the time said, "You know, there's this. They want to forget what they call it, kind of like a day where they." I think the Tank Day or Forum or something, it was mostly editorial people from the free press and some advertising people, some from different departments. And the topic was, what does the what will the Internet do for the industry? And that was, you know. Kill it? Was that mentioned? <laughs> basically, the smart money, for lack of a better word, said, we need to be afraid of the innovator, you know, the person that is first for all the technology, like Linda is. The first person to adapt to something new, be adapt afraid. something new, be afraid. And turns out he was right. Wow. You know, I, I, I hear it. You know, on the other hand, I think, you know, all through time, you can't fight progress. No. You have to find some way to embrace it. Um, I was listening, you know, to someone talk recently about um, Uber. What were they saying? They were saying that, you know, they've gotten a lot of, you know, it was the head of Uber. And they were saying they'd gotten a lot of blowback from cities and taxi drivers and Airbnb. They've got all this blowback from hotels, you know, because they're taking over an industry that um, is changing everything. And they said, you know, this is nothing new. When cars came in, the people with the horses and the buggies were really upset. As they should have been. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> I've always said, like, you know, I I say now I'm glad I had my kids before there were cell phones. But, you know, I remember my grandfather was 20 years old when radio was invented. And his parents probably said, well, I'm glad I didn't have teenagers when there were radio. <laughs> and then those parent, the next parent said, I'm glad I didn't have teenagers when there was television. And, you know, I'm glad that I didn't have teenagers when there were video games. You know, it's just, yeah. it's never ending. There's always something to be afraid of. And you can't go through life being, by afraid. being afraid of, especially technical progress because that's just going to keep on happening. That's true. You can't stop it. And you can't stop it. Like even with the classifieds, they're always going to find a place to go because human nature being human nature or just jobs being needing to be filled, everything that was going through classified is going to find a place to be, right. whether it's online or wherever it is. Right. I, personally, I believe in local news. I think CNG has found a niche that yes. no one else has explored. As evidenced by all the people who used to work at the News and Free Press who are migrating over to CNG. That's right. Yeah, because there are no jobs over there anymore. And There are they, a number. I have lost count of the number of people who came from there and are now at CNG. Right, for sure. Um, yeah, it's, you know, you've got to kind of roll with it a little bit. Yes. And, you know, find your spot and... C&G, I think they were nervous for a few years there. They seem to um, be doing pretty well at this point. Yes. Know. Yeah. So, so what? What? So we had two major newspaper. We had both Scripps and Booth came from the Detroit area, right, Linda? Yeah. So 
Scripps and Booth started the Free Press. Is that right, Terry? Or is it both the Free Press and the news? I know the Detroit News was the evening news when I first Right, I remember that too. That. And yeah, then, it, it, then they sold it to Gannett. And right. now they have flapped over and now the Free Press owns Gannett. Yeah, I think it was Scripps. It was uh, John Scripps who started the Tribune. James Scripps, who was born in 1835 in London. And... Um, he and his wife moved to Illinois at first and worked at the Chicago Tribune in 1857, but moved to Detroit in 1859. And by 1862, he had become manager of the Detroit Tribune. And then he later became part owner and manager of the Detroit Daily Advisor. And, you know, during the time, you know, from just, you know, my own kind of delving into the history, you know, newspapers were really kind of political rags. They really were very biased towards political, um, you know, for supporting their political um, uh, uh, for the, the politicians they wanted and just totally. De- de- That's kind of how it started. Yeah, yeah like the Hearst- first name for the Detroit Free Press is was the Democratic Free Press. And I believe that was for the party political party. And a lot of them were basically mouthpieces for political parties. Very closely linked. Right. So newspapers have always kind of gone through their own metamorphosis. They have always gone through their own. They totally have. Right. Um, At the end of the day, one, you know, to one gain either uh, monetary uh, to get advertising dollar or two to get political votes for their candidates. Matt, I must correct myself. It was actually the Democratic Free Press and Michigan Intelligentsia. Yeah. Have you ever been out to the Scripps Mansion? No, I have not. I have. It is out in Lake Orion, and it's very beautiful. It is um, the house that the family had. I think it was their probably their country house, but it's a very sure. beautiful home. And now it's a retreat for alcoholic priests. Oh, wow. I okay. Think. Yeah. Okay. And it's still very beautiful. It's lovely. You can walk around it. It's very nice. I think so I was in the day. This would have been their 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 kind of uh, their, their home. Oh, that's where back their country home. No, oh, their country a big home. Right. Estate. It was beautiful. Very nice. It it still is beautiful. I think that the retreat people have kept it in very good shape. Hmm. So, yeah, it's a very nice place. Um, yeah, Scripps, when eventually his son-in-law, George Booth, took over the paper. Booth newspapers. So, yeah, I mean, these are names that we're still hearing connected with newspapers. So, um, once Detroit had these great papers by Scripps and Booth, daily papers in other Michigan cities followed. And um, they moved to Grand Rapids. Hmm. Yes. They're on the west side of the state now, Opening I believe. Opening the morning press and the Grand Rapids evening leader. And then he combined those two papers into the Grand Rapids press. 
Are those papers still in existence, Matt? They are not. The Grand Rapids Press was shut down uh, along with my um, beloved Ann Arbor News. Yes. Uh, MLive has taken over those uh, newspapers and um, – you know, you know, they've retained some of the 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 voice. Uh, the Grand Rapids Press, I think, or the M M Live's interpretation of the Grand Rapids Press, has maintained of of all the newspapers uh, that were local at the time that M Live took over. I think the Grand Rapids Press has stayed as close to the original as it was. The Ann Arbor News got gutted. Uh, it was a shame, you know, it was a great newspaper. It was multi-award winning. Oh, it's just, it was such a beloved newspaper. I, you know, and I lived in Ann Arbor for 30 years, just kind of broke my heart. Um, you know, Jackson News uh, was taken over by MLive, a couple of, you know, up in, in Flint. I mean, it's the nature of the beast, right? You know, they, they've streamlined their advertising and, and their staff. And, but I think what I miss the most from newspapers was, you know, there was there was always that kind of either on one end the investi the investigator. You know, people they would go and investigate. You know, even if it was uh, maybe a corrupt local politician or 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 a great politician that was doing well, or you know that they could go in and and look at a story and find some some and go into a little bit of depth. And that's just not what they do anymore. You know, they, and I I feel you know I have children and grandchildren. And I remember growing up and getting that newspaper. We would get the newspaper in the afternoon. I would get that newspaper. And as a little kid, that was kind of one of my first adult reading experiences. Of course, I always started with the funnies, you know, and I enjoyed that. But then I would move to Dear Abby. I used to read the advice column, Jane Lee in the Detroit News. But it's kind of one of the ways I think that children moved from children's books to adult reading. I think some type of adult literature. And I don't know if children are getting that experience nowadays. No, they would be getting it on a screen, looking at a screen, reading it that way rather than probably. I I think some is genetic. I know my nephew, uh, Kramer, who's now 20-something, you know, uh, we'd still get the newspaper at at his parents' house, my uh, sister and brother-in-law, and he would pick up the newspaper, and he'll still kind of pick up a newspaper. And I'm surprised that somebody that age will do it. But I think it's just that tactile, you know, that... It's there. Yeah. It's got information. Why not? The problem is... They'll pick it up. Will they buy it? Will they go this out of true. their way? How can they make money? I know. On enterprise. This yeah. is the problem. I, I think they found. I think they found a way. I know the Detroit, uh, the Detroit News and Free Press. You know they're doing okay. Um, you know M Live's doing okay with their. You know with their interpretation. There's still the New York Times, the Washington Post, uh, Wall Street Journal. You know I, I I'll pick them up as we go by. So it's um, yeah. You know it's. It's there. Let us not lament. Let us, eh, you know, I don't know what the future will hold. So No, that's it. We don't know what the future will hold. Yeah. Well, we've talked about the past of newspapers. And, you know, Terry, you and I were trained as journalists, but it wasn't, it didn't begin that way. It was basically printers that, you know, I always think of, you know, um, Benjamin Franklin 
he had his little printing oh, sure. press. And that's how it kind of started. Yes. And just anything that they could think of. And that was so novel to get that kind of information on a piece of paper. Yes. Um, and so it has totally evolved from just anything that you could think of to possible manipulation by politicians, absolutely, to um, the Michigan Press Association when it started, and it cleaned up the journalism industry, for sure, when, you know, all of a sudden they created standards. And uh, that was actually right after the Civil War. They formed the Michigan Press Association in 1867, and uh, it it had a purpose of good fellowship, better acquaintance, and the promotion of the general welfare of the press. Hmm. Um, and one concern that was talked about a lot was statewide rates for legal advertising as well as agreement about rates for other forms of ads. You know, ads are a huge part of a newspaper. I mean, people think that a newspaper is about news, but it's a lot about ads. Of course it is. And lots of uh, things by law must be advertised in something that is accessible to Mm. the masses, which would include legal bits and notices, notice of a public hearing on a rezoning request in a municipality, must be advertised in that way. I know. When I was in journalism school, I remember one of my first teachers asked us, um, she said, so what do you think goes into the paper during layout first, ads or news? And we all said news, but that was wrong. No, it, it is, it is, it is it ads. Is they call it the news hole. How much is going to be news? How much is going to be ads? I how, think it's more ads, to be honest with you. It, you know, in it, a lot of ways, news is a bonus. Yes, it is. Something <laughs> has to pay for the rest of the those printing costs, those distribution right. costs. Absolutely. And the publishers, they have to make a buck, too. <laughs> they Absolutely, or do. they won't keep doing that. And in the day, they made many bucks, didn't they? They, they, newspapers were very profitable businesses, and they could still be uh, honorable, and they could still, you know, you know, find the tough stories and and weed out corruption and things like that. You know that you could that there was a balance between the two. You could you know sell your ads and, uh, you know, and uh, and tell the truth. Well, go you know. It's it's a it's a dance. I think the ads and the news they're going on at the same time. I think C and G has done a very good job of keeping the two departments very separate. Um, they uh, by a very conscious effort, and you you can't have one without the other. Absolutely, absolutely, for so sure. What is it? So when you put on your journalism hat versus your author sh- author hat, oh, <laughs> I would like what do you? Um, the the biggest difference yeah. is that when you're writing fiction, you can don't you don't have to work with horrible quotes like, as we <laughs> do now. You're trying you have to paraphrase it or man, this person really didn't say much to move my story forward. However, when you are creating fiction. They can say exactly what you need them to say to move the story that would forward. Be wonderful, <laughs> but but in some ways, creating the fiction would be 
difficult in its own ways because it's so broad. How do you, you know, at least when you're covering a story, there's some context, you know, there's some boundaries around it. Sure. When, when you're out, you know, um, when you're writing your, when you're writing your, uh, your, your books as an author, how, how do you, do you have a thought you start beforehand? With, yeah. Well, you start with your idea or your little story that wants to be told. There are different ways. Some people, there are panstars, there are plotters. Plotters plot everything out first and then they go from there. I'm not that. I am a panster, which I sort of fly by the seat of my pants and there's a lot of us out there where you start with the I scene and you sort of wait to see where the characters take you or where they're, what the story ends up to be. Which is kind of what I imagine being a journalist, which is you have to sit back. You have to wait to see what the story's going to be. Right, and then right. follow it. Huh. Yeah. Do you put your? Do you have a room that you go into? Do you I give- do. I have a library. In fact, my it's uh, my granddaughter's favorite room in my house. Okay. They really like it in there. <laughs> they like to hang out in there. Not when I'm when I'm in there. It's quiet time. Shut the door. It's my half hour. Do not unless the house is on fire. Do not come and talk to me unless it's just going to be a minute. Hi, you know I'm leaving for the day. Bye, kind of thing. So. I go in there every day, try to do it every day. Even when I'm on vacation, that half hour, at least half hour is, that's the creating time. And then anything else I do beyond that, like typing it up or revising is separate. But I need that half hour pure creating time every day. Do you see why I say she's an inspiration? <laughs> I do. And oh, that is not you. the place where you do your writing for... Uh... No, I do not do my <laughs> journalism the same way they would kill me. No, no. I and you do don't use do that. that room, right? That, that, that no, room. I don't use okay. that room. For, okay. That's funny that you say that. No, I do not. No, I think of it. Yeah, that's separate. Well, I think we've done a pretty good job of talking about the past, present, and future of newspapers here. Thank you so much, Sherry, for joining Thank you for having Matt me. and I on Comeback and, City. And, uh, this was a blast. Thank again, you so much. Tell us, tell us the, uh, tell us where we can find your, uh, your okay, books. Okay. Um, so in select Barnes and Noble, I don't know which ones. That's the thing is, um, it's a order for copies of my uh, la- latest two books in the small press department in Barnes and Noble. Okay. Check it out, Tara Eldana, T A R A E L D A N A, and the books are on thin ice and in the depths. And my new one coming out in May is called Cabin Fever. Well, thank you so much for thank joining you. us today. Thank you, Linda, for letting me uh, take the reins here today. And uh, You are welcome, Matt. Till next week. Till next week. Take care now. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you.